are they in the business of doing demos or POCs or are they in the business of closing deals? If they're in the business of doing POCs, by all means, I'll just do POCs all day. But if they want to close business, then we have to do these things ahead of time to make sure that we close it. What if they want something that we cannot provide and it's a deal breaker for them? Why should we waste our time pursuing that versus pursuing another deal? Welcome to Presales Heroes by Vivin. I'm your host and presales evangelist, Perry Bronson. Today, we'll be diving into some of the key findings that we at Vivin have published in our latest presales leadership benchmark report. And I'm pleased to have with me Ramzi Marjava, a seasoned presales professional, thought leader, and founder of We the Sales Engineers. Ramzi, I'm so pleased to have you today. Uh, tell me, how is it going over in Ottawa? It's good. It's sunny. School started, so kids are busy. Um, beyond that, everything's okay. Wonderful. I'm sure it's nice to have the kids occupied and back in person now or still online? We have, we decided to go the virtual route just because we have a six-month-old and um, we didn't want to risk anything there. Totally, totally understandable. Well, before we get into the meat here, we always start our sessions with your hero origin story. So this is really about how exactly did you get into the field of pre-sales? Before I got into pre-sales, I was a network design engineer at a company here in Ottawa, and I was severely underpaid. So I was just looking for any way out. And one of the jobs that I found was systems engineer. I didn't know what that was, but it looked like I work with customers. I applied to that job got interviews. And then when I was offered the role, they said there was commission involved, which I enjoyed because I worked a lot of overtime, which, and I didn't see any monetary uh, rewards for that. And the fact that there's commission with the uh, pre-sales means that the more harder you work, the more you, the better you do your job, the more you get paid. So I jumped on the chance of doing that. Yeah. I love that incentive, right? It's a, it's a good kind of competitive spirit as well. And good motivation to, to keep learning. That's wonderful. How did you go from systems engineer into more of the kind of sales engineering space? That was just the title. Uh, it was a sales engineering role, but the title at that company was systems engineer. And I have like a couple blogs about the different titles. And actually one of them is on, I wrote for you guys, I believe. Yeah. So yeah, 20 different names, yeah. but it's the same thing. That's actually uh, one of our very most popular blog posts. So everyone should check it out. Uh, Ramsey guest blogs for us and all the different titles is, is always a fun subject for debate. You know, of course, we were pushing pre-sales. There's strength in numbers, I, I believe. Uh, but certainly you can call, call the role many different things. So your platform or community is called We the Sales Engineers. Uh, tell me a little bit more about what inspired you to start that organization. I started that organization in, well, I started the website in 2018. I, I became an SE in 2014. And from 2014, 2016, I thought I was doing an amazing job. I was hitting my quota. And then I got feedback that I sucked at my job. <laughs> very kind feedback. It was very constructive. But the point was, I I. I didn't know what sales engineering was. And when I reached out to my teammates within my company, I found that we do the same mistakes. So I decided maybe the best way for me to actually learn about sales engineering after, after I've read like solution selling, spin selling, demo to win, I read all those books. And then I decided the best way to actually learn it and get better at it is to talk to other sales engineers. 
And I figured the only way for me to get other sales engineers to talk to me, which I know better now, but that at the time, I thought the only way to do that was to actually create a podcast and tell them, hey, I have a podcast. And that's how we, the sales engineers, started uh, just by because I wanted to learn and I wanted to get better as a sales engineer. It's great that you had that motivation, even though you were hitting your quota. I'm sure for many, it can feel like, well, you know, the hard numbers show I'm doing a good enough job if I'm hitting those revenue targets. But certainly there are other success and performance indicators beyond that, right? And and how do you really take yourself to the next level? I I love the growth mindset I, I hear from so many people in this industry. And that really leads me Back to our benchmark study, the technical win, right? That's not, it's a huge indicator of revenue, but it's its not a one-to-one comparison all the time, but it is this, this increasingly important metric in pre-sales. And some of the findings um, in, in their latest report were all centered around the importance of this technical win. And not only what does it mean for the performance of a pre-sales team, but also it's, it's really crucial to closing deals, of course. Um, And so listeners, for any of you out there, you can check out the full report on our website, vivin.com. We also have two other reports that we've published, so be sure to check those out. And before we dive deeply into the learnings about the technical win and the battle to secure it, let's start by defining it. In the world of Vivin, this is actually captured as a stage in the pre-sales opportunity funnel. So this is a way we look at the deals you're working just through the lens of what does pre-sales do. And so it's it's a stage. And typically, this is indicating that your product is meeting the needs of your buyers, right? But what exactly happens to convert a deal to this critical status um, to, to convert it to this next stage, often the final stage for a pre-sales person? This is really up to interpretation, and it depends on your organization's approach and uh, your own criteria. So, Ramsey, I'd love to hear for you, what does it look like to get the technical win? How do you define it? I'm, I'm always conflicted about the technical win, and I'll kind of redefine it all the time based on what I'm learning every day. But for today, my definition of technical win is I've shown the value of the technology to the customer. I can't show the return on value at this point or return on investment at this point because my salesperson didn't provide how much it would cost. So we can't do the return, but at least I've shown them how much money they can save or how much faster they can do do their whatever it is that they want to do. And I made sure that I've answered the technical questions and tied it to some business need that they have. I think that 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 is the definition of today. It's been the definition for the last couple of months. Ask me again in a couple of months, it might change if, as I learned something new, but that's it for today. Yeah, I heard a lot about proof, which uh, makes a ton of sense. And it's, it's pretty much everything you can do before getting into that purely dollar negotiation phase where sales really takes the reins, it seems like, and you know, starts working through the order forms. And, you know, it's it's a very victorious moment, it feels like, for most pre-sales folks to get that tech win. It's true. It's a victorious moment. The problem I have with it sometimes is that we don't always know if we get got it or not. Um, mm. So if we didn't do a proper discovery, we didn't ask the right questions, 
we didn't show the right value and the customer didn't comment about it, didn't, does it mean we, we actually did have a technical close or does it mean the customer just went through the motions with us and let us uh, sit on our laurels thinking that we, did, we have a technical close? That's the hard part about defining a technical win because it's so subjective. And if we do our job right, we can, we can get it. If we do our job wrong, we don't know if we got it or not. It's uh, up in the air. Yeah, it's really important to have that transparency with the buyers and collaboration. And you can do everything right sometimes as well and maybe lose that traction with the buyer. But I guess that comes back to qualification, uh, which is a whole other great topic. Yeah. So just giving a little context on the benchmark report, this this was a study where we surveyed pre-sales leaders ranging from startups to Fortune 500 companies. And our participants shared that 54% of a deal's life cycle is totally geared around getting this technical win. So, you know, just over half. And on average, we learned that it's taking three pre-sales professionals and 64 days. So pretty good chunk of time. And uh, for many, it's, it's really a team sport. Curious to hear from you, Ramzi. Uh, how does your experience relate to to these findings, these stats? I've I've had a wide range of life cycle size. If I'm working with a customer that I've that I know, there are previous customers, and they're looking for something new from us. It tends to be shorter, and I've I've been working on a deal for over a year now, just because we can only get the customer on the phone every every few weeks due to their uh, schedule and uh, geographic location. So yeah, it, I wouldn't be surprised that it's 64 days. 64 days seems, depends who you ask, it might seem on the low side, it might seem on the high side. But yeah, it's, I'm not surprised. Yeah, it makes sense as an average, I think. You bring up a good point, right? <laughs> you could get the technical win and have that deal boomerang six months later when they're actually ready to buy because of political alignment or budget or whatever the deal breaker may have been, and hopefully you're not spending another 64 days, but maybe you are. Things could have changed in the market during that time, in the product. So it's not too surprising that it takes a good chunk of time to really do that thorough evaluation. Yeah, because there really are so components, so many components. So more often than not, the technical win is really an outcome of a successful product evaluation and Ramzi, I wanted to know from you, how, how are you approaching these technical evaluations? Are you looking at them through the lens of a free trial? Is it more of a controlled test drive where you let the, the customer, the buyer get the hands on the products? Are you setting up custom sandboxes? What does a technical evaluation really look like for you? Most of our products are physical equipment today in my company. We do have some software-based solutions as well. So a lot of the testing, a lot of the proof of uh, value, proof of concept, and evaluations are test drives. We have to physically bring in the equipment on site and show them how to use it. And we always provide a finite amount of time where they can actually run their testing. Otherwise, it will never end. They'll, they'll think the product is theirs sooner or later and just start using it on a daily basis. So yeah, it's a test drive with preconceived plan of what are they going to do in that one week or two week period where they're running their testing. And the point is just to prove 
again, that they can use our product to do what they need, not to actually use it in their production environment and, and have it be part of their day-to-day. That's mostly what we approach. Even if it's a software-based solution, we, we also have that plan ahead of time. We provide them the software. We help them use it. We, help, we show them how to use it, run some basics, basic tests with them, and allow them to just play with it for a week or two. The big point uh, that we try to do is to get someone assigned to the proof of concept ahead of time to know who's going to be working on it so that they actually do work on it. Otherwise, we can provide them the software and then they won't have anyone to actually work on it on it in the time period that we've provided it. Does that answer uh, the question? Yeah, I think I understand. So it's really identifying a stakeholder who's going to get their hands on the, the software or the hardware and be responsible for, for using that time wisely. I'm curious to hear from you, and I, I know not everybody in pre-sales is working with hardware, but certainly going in person, going on site and whiteboarding and having, you know, doing a workshop to integrate or just having a brainstorm session. Those are very valuable things to do in person in this phase of a deal. Um, And so it's interesting to hear from you that like you're actually sending hardware. So that's something you would physically drop off. Is that something, you know, you've done during the pandemic or how has that process changed? Um, Yeah, I've done it during the pandemic. The process changed in the sense that I cannot go in and physically plug it in for them and physically start working with them on it. I would have to provide the drop off the equipment outside the door. They they (laughs) walk it in and then I jump on a call with them and help them set it up remotely at that point. But beyond that, almost everything's still the same. We still have touch points like before we even start the POC they know that I let's say we're starting it on Monday they know that by Monday afternoon or Monday evening I'm going to reach out to see how the first day went if if let's say I finish the setup in the morning I'm going to reach out in the afternoon I'm going to reach out in a couple of days there will be touch points and I expect answers because this is a contract that we're having I'm providing you this product I'm providing you my time I'm expecting answers from you and we would have milestones figuring out what's the go no go criteria beforehand and to understand like what did, what do they want to test and at what point do we say that we finished all the testing that we wanted to do because i again i learned the hard way that if we don't do that they're just going to run every test that they think of mm-hmm. and they're going to start using it and then they're going to find something that might bug them up about the product and it might be a minor thing that can break the deal so we try to limit that because no product is perfect. They're going to find stuff in it. Right. So just have a plan ahead of time. Yeah, that makes sense. I love the the milestones. Any any good person who's worked in project management, like I have in my past, uh, loves a good camp chart. <laughs> but yeah, it certainly, it seems like there's also a component of just building that rapport, which I think can be harder when you're not getting in a room with folks, but certainly there are ways to do these kinds of workshops virtually. You know, when you have that face-to-face, it's it's easier to build a champion in your stakeholder, even if there's someone who's just sort of been assigned to, to kick the tires, so to speak, try out the product. So interesting times we're living in for sure, but lots of exciting solutions out there. So going back to the survey, let's talk a little bit about how much time is spent in this technical evaluation phase of, of getting the technical win. So we found that pre-sales leaders uh, are taking around 33 days 
to complete the hands-on evaluation. And this was true whether it was considered a proof of concept, a proof of value, or managed trial. We're sort of just grouping those all into an evaluation. So it's basically taking up half of the time that pre-sales is, is investing to get this tech win. And I guess I'm curious then, you know, this is something we didn't dig into as deeply in the survey. Maybe it'll happen in the follow-up. But if half the time is spent on the hands-on evaluation, uh, Ramsey, what do you think the other half is, is looking like? What I'm doing personally is I'm being part of the discovery calls. I'm doing everything up to the the proof of concept. So there's the discovery call that could be one call or multiple calls. There are follow-up to the calls because when you have a discovery call, they might ask you, the customers might ask you some questions and you're going to have to go out and find the answers to to make sure that when we do if we do a proof of value, it's useful for them. There could be one one discovery call, there could be multiple discovery calls, especially if the product is very specialized and we need to get external like specialist SEs involved, specialist sales engineers involved. So there's that. There's also the demo that might take place before the the proof of value, proof of concept. Um, the demo takes time. There are other things that happen as part of the sales cycle outside of meeting customers. There's a lot of prep time that should be taking place behind the scenes, especially by the SE. It could be preparing for the demo, doing the dry run, collecting information from uh, from product management about things that we think might come up during the demo be- based on the discovery call that we just did. And then there's preparing for, like, for me personally, when I'm preparing for a, for a proof of value, <laughs> there are a lot of like paperwork stuff where I need to locate a piece of equipment, make sure it gets shipped on time, get the licenses on it. So a lot of non-sexy stuff that take place that no one talks about, the dirty work behind the scenes. And then there's the preparation for the POC itself. We talked about like the POC plan where we come up with milestones with go, no go criteria. Like if on day one, we can't do this, then we will just take the equipment back home with us and you don't have to worry about the rest. We'll, we'll close the deal. Day three, if we haven't completed these tests, then we take it back. Or if we did complete it, you can go, go on with that. So there's a lot of prep that goes into doing a proof of concept, at least what I do, I've seen other people who just say, here, here are some licenses or here, here's some equipment, try it out for for a month. Uh, I'm not, I don't fall into that category if, I, if I'm involved in the proof of concept. So there's a lot of prep that takes, uh, takes place to get to the proof of concept. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. It sounds like just the field of pre-sales could really do some standardization around some of the steps you just outlined. You know, if you're finding that you you tend to get the tech win, you tend to, you know, get the win in general with this certain kind of structure, why isn't everybody running their POCs this way, right? And I think, you know, maybe the answer lies in the Gantt chart I (laughs) alluded to before. Everyone has their own kind of spreadsheet somewhere, their own list of to-dos, and can be a little hard to replicate the, the winning pattern. So kind of goes back to your quest with we the sales engineers, right? Such an my individual process. Okay. My, my experience with that is many SEs don't know better, right? They just think that part of their job is, hey, let, let me provide you the licenses or the hardware or the equipment, whatever it is, and we'll figure it out later. And I'll, there's a lot of that time before the proof of concept. It's a lot of work. And the customers might push back that they don't want to do the 
the the proof of concept plan. Just send me the equipment and I'll play with it or just send me the demo and I'll play with it. So there's a lot there might be a lot of pushback which sometimes we're afraid to actually say no to the customer. But if we can frame it in a way that it's best for the customer that we do all this ahead of time so that you don't waste time when you have the equipment and run out of time and then both of us lost because you don't know if it works for you or not, then it gets easier. So that that's my view of why some SEs would not do it. Yeah, I think that makes sense. I also think there are deals where maybe the SE doesn't feel like they're actually qualified for the for the hands-on evaluation and is sort of hedging their bets, right? If you have too big of a workload and it feels sometimes it can feel like the reps are just throwing the evaluation on on the SE to sort of let's see if it sticks, right? And so sometimes those can feel like, well, that's a pretty, pretty expensive experiment if something hasn't really been qualified and if the likelihood doesn't feel high that it'll actually go somewhere. Yeah, and I've worked with SEs who had that complaint and we always come back to the discussion of talk to your account manager. I mean, are they in the business of doing demos or POCs or are they in the business of closing deals? Because if they're in the business of doing POCs, by all means, I'll just do POCs all day. But if they want to close business, then we have to do these things ahead of time to make sure that we close it. What if they want something that we cannot provide and it's a deal breaker for them? Why should we waste our time? doing that? Why should you waste your energy pursuing that versus pursuing another deal? So like as SEs, when we talk to our account managers, I feel like there are our customers and we, they don't always know. They're not always right. And we have to steer them in the right direction. There's a lot of pressure on them because they are commissioned, like highly leveraged and 50 to 60% or 40% commission-based. They need to pay for their family's income that they tend to like want to do more activities, but more activities doesn't mean the right activities. And we have to work with them on that. Yeah, absolutely. And, and having that good relationship with the sales counterpart would mean that you can get around this before it gets sat on your lap. Occasionally you might win, lose the, the battle <laughs> for, yep. for other reasons, but what do you what do you think for pre-sales leaders? What should they be instilling in their team to ensure that, that each of their team members is actually successful in all of the various activities that they're delivering that are ultimately leading up to the technical win, hopefully when they're doing the job right. What what can their managers um, do to coach them to be more successful in each of these areas? Well, one thing I see lacking from pre-sales managers, not through any fault of their own, but is coaching. Pre-sales managers are usually too busy putting out fires or working on strategy that unless uh, SE is failing, they tend to just leave them to their devices. And that's happened to me in the past where I was hitting my quota. So my, my manager never noticed that I didn't know what discovery was for a year and a half. And it wasn't until the senior VP of sales came and said, Ramsey, you don't know what discovery is. So I think one thing they need to do is actually do coaching and see how their employees are acting in front of customers, see how what their processes is, provide them the processes to actually go on and do a POC. If their process to do a POC is to have a POC plan ahead of time, let, let the SEs know, let, let everybody know, let the salespeople know that 
the SE has to do a POC plan, otherwise we will not do a POC. And empower the SEs to say no. Empower SEs to use their judgment and know when they need to push back on the salesperson that they need to do something else. They need to do a, a POC plan or they need to be part of discovery. A lot of SEs are not even part of discovery. So they never know what to show in a demo and they don't know what to do in a POC. So just get them involved and provide some coaching. Actually provide coaching, not just one-on-one meetings where we talk about funnels. Yeah, that's great. Empowering the SEs to say no, but doing it in a, a really thoughtful way where it's you know through the coaching, right? You're saying no when you should say no, or you are asking the right questions that will maybe lead your counterparts to the same solution, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah. we don't have to be blunt about it. We can, I mean, I don't have to tell my account managers, no, I would just tell them like, do you want me to work on this block that we may not get? Or do you want me to work on this demo that we know we can kill it and just win the, this deal in two days? Which one do you want? And mm-hmm. So that that tends to work for me. Others, others can't find their own styles. Love it, love it. And Ramsey, you're sort of on the hybrid side of things. Is that right? Um, um, sales and pre-sales now. Oh, sales and pre-sales. And, cool. and well, pre-sales in my company does pre-sales and post-sales. So I guess I'm okay. all three, but I tend not to do as much post-sales, but I do manage. If a customer has an issue, I, I am I am responsible to getting it solved. Got it. Got it. Yeah. And this is something we're certainly seeing in the benchmarks as well, where many teams are becoming more and more blended. The insurmountable responsibilities are kind of falling onto the strategic function that know know the product really well are great working with customers and buyers. So it's not terribly surprising that we're seeing this fairly large segment of respondents who are pre-sales leaders managing not only pre-sales, sometimes post-sales and, and even other teams. The risk here, it seems, is that you're going to get pulled in many different directions. And if there's so much riding on getting this technical win, how should pre-sales teams make sure that they're spending their time on the right priorities, even though they might be getting asked to do things that aren't as close to revenue, but are also really important. One thing a former boss of mine said that even if I was requested to do a post-sales activity, doesn't mean I have to do it personally. I can get somebody Mm -hmm. else to do it and just manage the situation. If I'm working on a hot deal, pre-sales, where it can bring in revenue to the company and an important issue came up with a customer who can also buy from us and also bring revenue to the company, although not through my actions, I can get support involved or somebody else from like post-sales field engineering involved to help solve the problem and manage the situation. Not necessarily do the, the handwork myself while I'm working on a demo. If I have time to do both, I think it's a great way to build a relationship with the customer that you're there for them not just when they want to buy something from you but if you don't have time you're just going to have to manage other people leverage people around you to get the job done and there's an entire support organization probably in your in your in your company get them get them involved and make sure that the problem is solved uh there's a saying jocko willink he's a former Navy SEAL, right now leadership coach, 10% of his job was to give orders, tell people what to do. And then 90% of, of his job was to make sure that it's done. So if you to ask someone from support to jump on a call 
to help you to, and you're trying to leverage them, make sure that they can actually do the job and make sure that they do the job. Does that answer the question? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think it's a really important lesson to, to coach into your pre-sales teams. It's certainly what I've been learning myself, which is that taking ownership absolutely can include delegation, right? And being comfortable with whatever the job you're doing, being a, a team sport, right? We saw this in the results, like three people on average it was taking to get a technical win. Um, so I think from the pre-sales leaders kind of perspective, it's, yeah, making your ICs comfortable with asking for help, delegating, and that doesn't mean you're relinquishing control and ownership. 100%. You're still in control. You just, someone else is doing the work. Yeah. And being able to specialize too. I think understanding really how these, how these POCs, how getting the technical one breaks down is probably going to help the pre-sales leader really understand, well, where do we need the special specialties? Where is the time getting sucked up that, you know, we don't need my, my main SE to be the point person for each of these things. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if there's a trend that one SE is doing all the pocs, that means either he needs or she needs better SEs or they need to empower their other SEs to get better at their job. And one thing I see lacking, which I'm happy Vivin is around for, is information about SEs and what they do and how they do things. Like in my company, SEs don't even use Salesforce. And they don't they don't use the the CRM. So no one knows what's happening with the customer yeah. if they're doing anything. But information is required to get better. Whatever gets measured improves. And if we can't measure stuff, you know, we'll stay the way we are and everybody will just run past us. Yeah, unless everybody starts their own We the Sales Engineers uh, community, which I don't think everyone is going to go out and do themselves, right? It's It's been this very much self-service path of growth um, up until now. It doesn't scale exactly. There's a lack of resources for sales engineers. So mm. if someone wants to do it and they, will, <laughs> they need help, let me know. Anyone can actually provide value to the sales engineering community. At least that's my opinion. Absolutely. Well, thanks so much for taking some time out of your day to to dive into some of these findings and share your experience, Ramsey. It's been really enlightening and just some key takeaways for our listeners out there. Invest in coaching your team. I think that is just the best advice um, anyone can give, really. And do that by not just telling them what to do, but seeing them in action attending their demos and their discovery calls and seeing where they can use that feedback and let them know what their success criteria is and, and try to have that success criteria be you know, somewhat stable so that they can continue measuring themselves against it. Empower your SEs to say no. I love that one. Uh, super helpful. And empower them to delegate as well. They don't. Not everybody has to do every single thing that is required to get the tech win or to get to the next phase. People need to be comfortable kind of working on a team, especially as the responsibilities are growing so much in this field. So everyone who's interested in hearing about the benchmark report, you can get it over at vivin.com. And you know, you're gonna learn what it takes to ramp up your team as well. We, we also have some interesting findings around what it takes to get a new pre-sales hire up to speed to actually drive successful technical evaluations. You're gonna learn how to distribute and balance your pre-sales responsibilities, which are 
really growing and sometimes competing and how to drive best practices to get the tech win more efficiently uh, as well as effectively. So I hope that you can get something out of this last report and we'd love to have you participate in the next one. And Ramzi, once again, it's been such a pleasure having you here today. The pleasure was all mine. Thank you for inviting me. Thanks so much. (laughs) 